Yes, we should be holding people accountable, but for what? Perhaps not what you think. On this episode, three places to zero in. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 475. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. We've had many conversations on this show about holding people accountable. But what do you hold people accountable for? Today, a clear answer to that question, one that so many of us should be utilizing in how we think about accountability, not only for people, but for our organizations. I am thrilled to welcome back to the show someone who has a tremendous amount of expertise in performance measurement. Stacy Barr is a specialist in strategic performance measurement and evidence-based leadership. She is the creator of Pump, a performance management methodology that routinely transforms measurement cynics into its greatest advocates. Stacy is the author of two books, Practical Performance Measurement, Using the Pump Blueprint for Fast, Easy, and Engaging KPIs, and Prove It, How to Create a High-Performance Culture and Measurable Success. Stacy, glad to have you back on the show. I'm super glad to be back, Dave. Thank you. Well, we talked first about a year ago on episode 419, which I'll reference later on for folks who want to go back to it, on performance measurement that creates results and gets results. And we both were pleasantly surprised at how many people reached out. You were gracious to offer a free copy of your book, and something like three or 400 people hopped on your website and not only downloaded the book, but you started getting a whole bunch of questions, didn't you? I absolutely did, which is great. <laughs> I, I was amazed by the range of questions, but but as you well know, and and why we're here talking again is that there was a pretty strong theme among those questions. There was, and no surprise from our audience, uh, folks tended to zero in on the people stuff. And one of the questions that came out pretty regularly was, how do you hold people accountable for hitting targets? And as we sat with that question, and you and I were talking about that question, you had a wonderful response to that, which was, well, you don't. <laughs> which yeah. was, well, I was like, oh, wait, tell me more. That's that's fascinating. So let's dive in on that because that's one of the big things that came out of the last conversation is, okay, so we've heard about this importance for accountability and results and measurement, but it's different when we're talking about people, isn't it? It's completely different. I think a lot of leaders have unfortunately arrived at a misconception when we hear the term performance measurement or KPI or performance management and immediately associate it with using measures to manage the performance of individual employees. And I get a lot of questions, not just from your wonderful listeners, Dave, but from my own clients and, and subscribers around the world. I get a lot of questions about, well, how do you measure people? And I always was baffled by that because I thought I, I had made my positioning really clear that, that my work is about measuring organizational performance. So in a way, I've, I've kind of been drawn into this whole debate simply because of that misconception or misunderstanding that a lot of people have about what measurement's truly about. Measuring people is something I never do and never advise people to do and have only seen fail and make performance worse in a sense. So as we have this discussion, Dave, about 
accountability and holding people accountable for performance, I think what's going to emerge is a much clearer understanding of the distinction between managing people and people managing performance of the organization. Ah, uh, indeed. And and we're not going to leave you here with the, okay, you can't measure it, bye. <laughs> We've got a lot to say on what to hold people accountable for. But before we get into that, I think it is really useful to do some exploration on what leaders tend to run into and organizations tend to run into when they do try to hold people, individuals accountable for hitting targets. And what some of the common reactions come up for that? Because I've seen a ton of these happen in my own career and in trying to lead teams too, Stacey. Could you dive into that a bit for us of what happens when people do try to go down that road? I call it the downward spiral of managing people's performance because it really is a downward spiral. You know, it starts off with managers or leaders thinking, okay, well, I have to be able to monitor people's performance before I can manage it. And there's that old old adage, what, what you don't measure, you can't manage. So naturally, it feels like the right conclusion to draw. I'll, I'll monitor my people. So they'll go ahead and do that. And what happens is the people, therefore, know they're being monitored and they feel, as a consequence of being monitored, they feel judged. Really, not many people like being judged or feeling judged. And our natural response to judgment when a measure is going to be used to to say whether we're doing a good enough job or not, when we feel that judgment, naturally we feel threatened. We feel threatened because often when measures are used to manage people, it's to figure out how do I reward these people? How do I decide on their remuneration? And, and how do I perhaps, in quotes, performance manage them so that they become better employees? That, that's why it's threatening. And none of us want to feel that... Uh, our dignity and our reputation in the organization and in fact our income or access to training or or other bonuses are affected by a, a trivial set of measures because of this threat we therefore get defensive and one of the easiest ways to defend ourselves against the threat of metrics being used to judge us is that we will potentially manipulate the data so that the measures look good and get the outcome that we want uh, we might modify our behavior in a way that will make sure the measure's target gets hit, but often that can be at the consequence of something else. So we might try to, like this happens a lot in call centers where um, people have been judged for how long they spend on the phone with clients. And so the, the idea is you've got to keep your calls to less than three minutes. So people will do that. They'll keep the calls to less than three minutes and they'll hit that target. But the consequence is that all of these customers are not getting their problems solved because not all problems can be solved in three minutes. So customer loyalty starts to decline, the backlog in in problems being unresolved grows, and therefore performance starts looking bad. And then the leaders look at that performance getting worse and they go, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to do more monitoring. And so they start monitoring more and then the downward spiral continues. Yeah. And and you point out also some of the other challenges and realities that people run into is when there's a very specific target on something and a number to be hit and then it's missed, then there's a lot of the, well, the tendency for people to manipulate a bit or just having the excuse for, well, this was outside of my control. So this mm. variable happened. And you you get into this microcosm of analyzing a specific number and you lose the perspective of what you're really trying to do instead of splitting hairs on individual numbers. That, that's exactly it. 
and this is this is the fundamental reason why we really have to separate that idea of how we manage people performance versus how we manage organizational performance. They're not the same thing. The performance of the organization is absolutely not the sum of the performance of individual people uh, within the organization. It's not it's not that trivial in a sense. A lot of our audience, as you know, is a fan of Jonathan Raymond's work and the accountability dial. And I know you have looked at his mm. work as well. And there's a distinction between the kind of accountability he's talking about at the individual level and the kind of accountability that we're talking about from an organizational standpoint. I was wondering if you could help us to parse that distinction a bit. How I understand Jonathan Raymond's work and the accountability dial, it's a very practical and dignifying framework for leaders to have the conversation with individual employees about behaviors that might not be working in the workplace or the way that person is contributing or not contributing. And it's about having the opportunity to talk with that person in a really, I guess, a really bespoke way. It's something very unique and special to the way that person is going so that the leader can figure out how can I collaborate with this employee to help them move to a place where they're they're able to handle certain situations better or behave in a more constructive way or, or whatever. So it's, it's about, it's a dignifying way to help that employee become better at being the employee they need to be, I suppose, maybe even being better at being the person that they, they want to be. Jonathan talks about how over time we've become complacent with managing people. And that's why I guess he has the accountability dial. I see it that part of the complacency that we've had in managing people is kind of handing over the decision-making about whether an employee is performing well or not to KPIs or metrics and letting, letting those numbers make the decision for us. If I had my way, we would have absolutely no quantitative measures at all judging the way people perform. It, it would be a lot more of the kind of conversation that, that Jonathan talks about with the accountability dial, those five stages to having the performance conversation with people. And I think performance conversations is probably a much better term uh, to use when we're talking about managing individual performance than performance management or performance measurement. I think those terms are much more constructive, they're far less threatening when they're used in the in the other context, which is managing the performance of the organization and its results, the organization's processes and and the goals that we have and and the promises we make to our stakeholders and and, and so on. One of the things you've said to me, which I think just captures this so well, is people mistake measurement as a replacement for managing people. And mm. when I think about what you just said about the accountability dial and Jonathan's work, like this isn't a or, this is an and. So yes, we need to have those conversations, the personal and professional development conversations on individual level and follow the accountability dial. And we also need to have the measurement pieces for the organizational metrics that we're watching. And those two work in combination to help us to frame this thing we call accountability. Indeed, absolutely. I think before we talk about what accountability actually means, I want to make sure that we're, we're positioning it in the context of organizational performance. And what that requires is that where an aspect of organizational performance is measured, that there is a person, a single person, who is the one who said, yes, I will be accountable for this measure? And then we can talk about what does it mean to be accountable for that measure? What are the three parts of that definition? 
Perfect. Well, that's a good lead into what we do hold people accountable for then. And you've identified these three areas that, yes, these are the three things that are the places to go. And the first one is holding people accountable for monitoring the important results. Um, And I I think the key word there is monitoring. Uh, Tell me what you mean by that. In a sense, it means that if an employee at whatever level in the organization they they work at it you know could even be a leader who's who's accountable for a measure they are taking the responsibility to make sure that that particular result is measured properly the right measures designed for it and that they've brought that measure to life so that they can see how it's performing over time it it might be workplace accidents, it might be the amount of rework in the policy development team, it might be satisfied customers in a call center, whatever the result is, when someone's accountable for monitoring that result, they've got to make sure that they are actually measuring it, getting the data for it, and looking at that data routinely over time. What's an example of a measure like that that might be something that wouldn't be monitored? effectively? Like what have you seen where that breaks down? There is a, um, a factory team in a medical supplies company, a manufacturing company, and they had never really been involved in, in measuring performance before. They just had that traditional approach to, to, to managing people's performance. But they, they wanted to, to kind of shift and have a little bit more control over the performance of, of what was happening in the factory. And one of the things, believe it or not, they hadn't thought to monitor before was product quality. So this team got together and decided how would they measure the different aspects of product quality uh, that really mattered. And one of the measures was uh, defects per product, average defects per product. And the team member that was the owner for that knew that they had to make sure that that defects per product that data was actually collected for it, that they were going to to monitor that. I think they decided to monitor that monthly. So they'd count up all the defects in a month and all the products they produced in a month and calculate that ratio. And this this team member was responsible for making sure that measure got brought to life and that it was there to look at and see and, and, and track through time. In fact, when they started measuring this, they were able to get a little bit of historic data and compute the measure back in time a little bit so they had a, a bit more context for how how that measure was sort of tracking through time. I suppose the tendency is for some of us thinking back again to human behavior is if the thing that we're monitoring is not likely to show good results or if it's not showing the kind of results that the organization perhaps want, there is that tendency to perhaps not be as proactive about monitoring it and doing more with it. What have you seen work well for an organization when they're putting together the structure for this to encourage and support and reward people for actually doing that monitoring consistently. The, the, I'm catching a little bit on the word reward, Dave, and I'm kind of glad you, you used it. The interesting thing about why people come to work, what really drives them to come to work is actually not the traditional rewards that we're used to. So for this team member in the factory, For them to say, to put their hand up and bravely say, yes, I will monitor the product defect rate. The reward for doing that was not something that the organization necessarily gave to them. It's not a bonus or you'll get paid a little bit more for doing it. The reward for them is, wow, I'm actually contributing something quite meaningful to this company now. Through me monitoring this measure, I'm helping us be a better company and 
and produce a better quality product and help our clients enjoy the product more and have more success with it. So the intrinsic reward was mu- is much more important. And this is what we find very often in establishing this first part of the three-part accountability piece is that when people have taken that role in designing the measure and they've put their hand up and volunteered to be the one to monitor it, for the first time ever, they say things like, I actually feel excited about this. I feel excited about measurement. I feel like this is giving me more influence than I ever thought I would have. And that's kind of the reward that they get from it. Uh, so it's, it's the ownership and agency to do something that matters to the organization. And then probably going a step further of thinking from a, from a leadership standpoint is that I've done something as a leader to make that apparent explicitly of why we're doing this, why it's important, and yeah. framing the the value of this this metric to the larger vision and the purpose and the just cause of the organization, right? At least two of the things that any leader is responsible for is setting a clear direction and making sure that the culture is healthy enough to pursue that direction. Uh, that's exactly what you were talking about. So the team leader or the leader of the, the factory you know, or the different levels of leaders are all about saying these are the things that matter to our company right now. So they're giving that clear direction to the team that, that wanted to monitor the, the product quality. And those leaders are holding the space for that team to do it so that those leaders are making the promise to the team. We want you to measure these things. We want you to monitor them, but we are not going to use them to bully you or to manage you. We're going to listen to what you have to say to us about what we need to do based on what the measures are letting you know about product quality. Yeah. So the mistake here would be to get excited about this and say, okay, we're going to start monitoring the results and you'll be the person that does it. And then we go back to the behavior that so mm. many organizations do, which is like, okay, now this is reflective upon you, this metric as an individual, and we're monitoring it for just you. And we run into all the stuff we talked about earlier, right? Of like people that yeah. start to, you know, manipulate the numbers and choose the easy targets and don't yeah. aren't forthcoming with it. So yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Okay. So the second piece of this is holding people accountable for interpreting the measures that they're monitoring. What's the leap from monitoring to then interpretation? There are some ways that people typically look at numbers which don't actually reveal the insights in the numbers. Interpreting a measure, being, uh, being accountable for interpreting a measure accurately is knowing how to look at quantitative information and pull out those insights, the real signals. So part of the responsibility associated with this piece of the accountability is having the skills to interpret quantitative information properly. And what that means is just because this month's product quality is better than last month's product quality or the defect rate, as we were talking about before, it doesn't mean that things have gotten better. So it's irresponsible for somebody to say, this month's better than last month, so yay, we succeeded, because two points of data is never enough to fully understand um, how something's going. We need information that's kind of at least seven or, or 10 points over time before we can we have got enough information to see whether there really is a signal of change. So when uh, when individuals are accountable for interpreting a measure, we've got to make sure they've got the skills to interpret the measure validly and that they can then explain their interpretation to the rest of the team so that um, they can collaborate and work out what to do. So in the example of the product defect rate, what the owner, the team member who owned that measure did was use a special kind of chart. Basically, it's a time series chart. And what 
he was looking at was the the number of defects per products produced each month and he'd plot this in the time series chart but it was actually more than just a time series chart it's called an XMR chart it's one of the statistical tools that has evolved out of the quality movement from last century which makes it sound so long ago but <laughs> yeah. still valid stuff and it's the best kind of chart to figure out is performance getting better or is it getting worse and so these this team member understood how to use that chart understood how to interpret it and explain it. So this was really good actually because he, they got to a point where they had a signal in that chart where a whole lot of the product defect rate values were suddenly a lot lower than the normal average rate of, of product defects. And after a few months, that team member could actually tell the rest of the team, look, I've interpreted this measure and we have made an improvement. And that really also helps guard against, I'm guessing, just the manipulation that people tend to do. And I, and I actually don't think, well, I think back on my career and times I've seen this, I don't think most of the time people even consciously are manipulating numbers. Um, I mean, there certainly are those times that people do that in organizations, but I, I think more often it's a, I'm not thinking of the all the variables and the larger story around this number. I'm getting tied into the, it's better than it was last month, yay, <laughs> green light, whatever, but not really thinking about the larger story behind it. And when there is that analysis and that thoughtful interpretation done, it's you, you end up getting more of the nuance that you don't get and isn't possible when you're just looking at the number on its face. I think author um, Jerry Mueller, he wrote a book called The Tyranny of Metrics. He calls that metric fixation, what you just described, where you get this narrowed, blinkered view on just that one measure and you forget the bigger picture, you forget the context, you forget all the other results that are important that this one result you're, you're fixating on relates to. That's another responsibility of leaders, I think, when they want to get this new approach to accountability up and running, is that they need to give that context around which the team's individual, you know, the results they're, they're focusing on, how they link to higher level results in the organization. That's a whole nother can of worms. Um, in Pump, we, we use a tool called a results map to do that. So um, perhaps in the show notes, I can provide a link to that if people want to dive into it. Yeah, but it's so great. important for leaders to, to give that bigger picture and make the piece that the team is working on, the factory team, the product quality. Why does product quality matter? Well, it matters because we're interested in customer loyalty and we're interested in you know, when you improve product quality, often you reduce rework and costs and things like that. So there's a bigger context around it for sure. I'm sure you've seen it happen that you have helped an organization to get better at this. Uh, they've identified someone to monitor the results and ask them to interpret it well. And they come to a meeting or a customer and they do the, hey, the number's better than it was last month, yay. When that happens, what is it that you find is helpful for leaders to be able to do to help folks take the first step then on the interpretation piece? The first thing is to make it safe for um, the measure to, to, to actually be interpreted as, as not going well. The factory was, was not quite lucky because they did something deliberate to get the improvement in, in that measure of the product defect rate. But Often when we're interpreting a measure, the, the story isn't, it's not always good news. Sometimes it's, oh my goodness, this thing hasn't changed, even though we've spent months trying to make it change, or this thing is actually getting worse. What are we going to do? So firstly, leaders need to make it safe for that conversation to happen. And that's the kind of curiosity and 
disassociation from the results that we need to have. We need to be excited that we actually learned something from our measures. That's the message that leaders need to get through to people. So when someone does turn up at a meeting and they're saying, yay, things are better this month compared to last month, the leader needs to say, hey, do we really know that? Because you know, how do we know that last month was, was normal or good or bad? How do we know last month was a good month to compare this month to? Let's look at the bigger picture. Let's see how this thing's been tracking through time and see if we can see any other patterns that might give us a clue about how much this might be improving or maybe not improving and then encourage their employees to be curious and to want to learn more about how to get those insights out of data. It gets a lot easier, though, with practice. So just like anything, we, we, we learn the nuances of how to really craft a measure well and how to, how to graph it well and how to interpret it validly. Those things then become second nature after a while. But there is a little bit of a, a speed bump in, in the early days, and, and it's really important that leaders appreciate that it's not easy to do these things. They don't come naturally, and they really, again, have to hold the space for people to, to learn and to, to make a few mistakes one CEO of a technology company told me that he, he would sit with his, his teams as they were developing their measures and he'd be biting his tongue because he knew that there was a better measure that they should be using that he wanted them to use, but he knew that the buy-in and engagement was much more important. So he, he didn't tell them what he thought they should measure. And then over time, they, they eventually arrived at, at the better measure on, on their own with buy-in, not having them, their manager having told them what to do. You know, it takes a lot of discipline to do that, and uh, and I think that's a great lead into the the third piece, which is hold people accountable for initiating action when action is required. How do you help people decide what kind of action is needed, if any action at all? I think a slightly different way of thinking about that's even more useful, and that is leaders don't have to help people come up with the actions to take the people will come up with it themselves. Uh, So, again, it's about whoever owns the measure, whoever's accountable for it. We've firstly made it clear there, you know, what accountability for for monitoring the measure is about and what accountability for interpreting it validly is about. This third piece of accountability, which is initiating action if and when action is needed, is really that that person who owns the measure saying, I think we need to go about doing this. I need this team working together. I think we've got to do some cause analysis here to figure out why we got this signal. You know, why, why hasn't product quality improved over years and years and years? What are the causes for this? Let's dive more deeply and into the process that we work in, that we understand, and often leaders don't understand how processes actually work because they no longer work in those processes. They might manage them and oversee them but they don't work in them. So the people who own the measures of their own processes are the best people to dive in and figure out what's holding this back, what's making um, the product defect rate as high as it is. Once we've understood that, we then look at how, how could we fix that? How could we take that cause away? How could we change things so that that cause isn't, isn't there anymore or, or isn't having the effect that it would have? And let's come up with some recommendations and, and we'll take those recommendations back to the leaders and say, this is what we've found. This is what we suggest we need to do. Are, are you willing to, to support us and resources to take this action and make this fix? In a way, it seems so obvious. And yet, it's interesting to me, how often I'm talking with employees, managers, sometimes even folks at the director level that are their organizations have taught them to wait for direction, you know, provide some information, but wait for direction. What gets people starting to do that on their own of taking that action and not waiting for direction? 
it is true that because of that kind of feeling over time that 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 employees have to um, to kind of wait for direction and wait to be told, that's going to be there. And for leaders, that's going to feel frustrating, like things aren't happening fast enough. So a bit of patience goes a long way in the early stages and leaders need to keep reminding people, look, you guys know your process. You, you understand it better than me. I'd like you to really dive in um, and have me there with you if you need my help. But really, if you don't need my help, just dive in and, and find out. So it has to be a very encouraging thing coming from the leaders, coupled with patience, because you're right, this doesn't come naturally. We don't have employees kind of frothing at the mouth with proactivity to, to get things fixed. They're sort of often quite a, a little bit hesitant because they're, they're not too sure if they're going to put their head out and, and then get, get chopped or they're going to make a suggestion that, that somebody thinks is stupid or they're going to recommend a way to fix a problem that, that doesn't actually end up working. So the fear around that's got to go and it takes time for that to go. And leaders can help that fear go by being encouraging, by by saying, look, we're not looking for the right answer. We're just looking for more understanding and at least an hypothesis to test. Something that we could try just to see if it, if it works or not. And I'm thinking about what you said a minute ago, too, of the leader who you know had a sense of what the right metric was, but didn't jump in and do it themselves right away, I've allowed the person who owned it to start with a different interpretation and go down the path and find out that it wasn't working. And I got to imagine that discipline is hard, but it also sounds like it's necessary if we want to really have people take ownership for initiating their own action. It, it's completely necessary. And, and it works. That same CEO you just mentioned, where that led him and, and his leadership team was to a point where they flattened the organization's hierarchy completely. They took all the management structure out of it and let all the teams become self-managing. So by him holding back, having patience, biting his tongue, letting his team go ahead and learn and build that engagement, those teams got to a point where they really did have the skill and the confidence and the desire to manage themselves to achieve the results that mattered for the organization and they didn't need management telling them what to do. So I don't know if that's great great news for everybody, but you can certainly take some of the hierarchy out of the organization when you have teams that can manage themselves so well in that way. But that kind of accountability, the definition we've been talking about, that's what really facilitates those teams to to step up and and be proactive and make fast changes and learn really quickly and and ultimately increase performance so much faster and and with less effort uh, than ever before. Which is what to hold people accountable for, which is where we started the conversation. Uh, Obviously, we hit on a bunch of things not to do, but these three of being able to hold people accountable for monitoring important results, interpreting those measures, and then initiating action. If we're doing those three things consistently, Mm -hmm. that's good work for us to be doing around accountability at the organizational level. And then, of course, on the personal professional career level, the accountability tell from Jonathan Raymond, a great place to enter there. If we're doing those two things well, we're we're probably doing a lot better than most leaders and most organizations are. So, uh, Stacy, this is super helpful. Thank you so much for this framework. You have been so gracious to support our audience with resources and answering questions. I appreciate it. Two invitations for those of you who would like to dive in on on more. Well, maybe three invitations. One of them is there are a number of articles and resources from Stacey that we are not mentioning in this conversation that are freely available on our website. I'm going to be linking those up in the show notes and in this week's weekly leadership guide. So watch for those. 
In addition, Stacy's been gracious to respond to questions and her team of helping folks who have questions on this. Info at StacyBarr.com is a great email address to reach out to her and her team. And then finally, Stacy, last time you were on, you made this wonderful invitation to allow people to download one of your books for free, uh, really the framework for all of this practical performance measurement using the pump blueprint for fast, easy, and engaging KPIs. I think we had three or 400 people who did that last time. If you have found this conversation a useful starting point for you on thinking about what's next, I'd invite you to take Stacy up on that invitation. And the best way to get there is just go to coachingforleaders.com slash Stacy. That's Stacy with an E, and that'll get you right over there so you can download the book as well. And Stacy, thank you so much for all your work and for helping support our audience on getting better at this. I so appreciate it. And I'm just thrilled to be able to collaborate with people like you, Dave, who, who just have such a great passion for uh, for shifting the way that, that leaders can achieve organizational excellence. I'm glad to be a part of it. I've linked up to a number of Stacey's articles that will be helpful for more information on this episode's notes. In addition, a link to a free copy of her book, Practical Performance Measurements. So check all that out if you'd like to dive in more. In addition, several related episodes that relate directly to this conversation. One of them is episode 413, Effective Delegation of Authority. You've heard me mention this episode many times. It is such a critical concept for leaders at all levels to do well. And Hassan Osman was my guest. We talked through the details of how to delegate effectively. Of course, that goes right along with accountability. Episode 413, a great framework for you if you'd like to get better at that as well. Also recommended is episode 419, the last time Stacy was on, talking about performance measurement that gets results. We tackled some of the common myths about performance measurement, the what not to do, but also in detail how to frame performance measurement effectively for your organization. Uh, tons of notes and reach outs from to both of us from that conversation. Episode 419 is a wonderful starting point for you if you'd like to dive in more. And then finally, episode 464 was mentioned today, how to balance care and accountability when leading virtually. Jonathan Raymond was my guest. Of course, he is the creator of the Accountability Dial, a wonderful complement to this conversation on when you are holding folks accountable on these three areas. How do you do it? And where do you start to go down that path of having good, productive accountability conversations and to be caring for people well at the same time you're doing it? All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. Hey, if you haven't yet set up your free membership, that is a wonderful starting point, especially if you're relatively new listening to the show, because it'll give you access to the entire listener library since 2011, searchable by topic, and also it'll give you access to all of the benefits of free membership, including my book notes, including all of the member casts. Also included is the weekly leadership guide that comes out every Wednesday. If you'd like to get a copy of that in your inbox, it will give you an overview of every single episode that's aired, all of the popular links, plus many of the resources that I've tracked down during the week that'll be helpful to you in your ongoing leadership development. To activate your free membership, just go over to coachingforleaders.com, take about a minute or two, and you'll be up and running on the free membership and have access to everything going forward. 
Next week, I'm glad to welcome Steve Blank to the show. He's the Silicon Valley entrepreneur and academic behind the Lean Startup Movement. He's going to be teaching us how to pivot quickly, an important concept, especially during these times. Join us for that next Monday. Have a wonderful week, and I look forward to our next conversation. Take care.